mentioned a couple times how emotions leave their their imprint in the body and then why it's so uh, valuable and powerful to learn this body sense awareness because it's a portal into working skillfully uh, and knowing the difference between a moment of pure emotion and and then the mental proliferation about it that prevents us from feeling it. And I also mentioned the other day how even every single thought leaves an echo in the body. And after our breaking silence today, you probably now believe believe me, us. And if you don't, let's just take a few minutes and feel the body and feel all the energy of the body from our, our time of activity, especially speaking and thinking. Remember to try and allow awareness to arise from within the body, not from the head, not filtered through our thoughts. If there's thoughts, just let them breeze in the background and have the primary anchor, the felt sense of body sensation and knowing this felt sense of body sensation. And just in the last minute or two, notice what happens. Just from the very pure moments of sensation and the feeling, knowing, sensing of sensation. Without, without any need to change anything. Just what happens naturally, organically. from the pure felt sense awareness. The three of us, Michelle and myself and Pasha, through his silent means, will transmit ways of bringing this, uh, the essence of this sacred space that we shared for nine days back into the world and, and how we can use the tools that we've learned in each of our particular 
situations. And so I'll speak briefly, and then Michelle, and then we'll actually engage, because each of you have it has a different um, life situation and relationship uh, to your work to the world out, outside of this canopy of um, protection and safety outside of this sanctuary. The key for you will be uh, largely what we've emphasized all week. The portal of the body. Using the body as a vehicle for awakening um, and grounding awareness in the moment. Just as we, I suggested just now from the time of uh, coming out of silence and talking and uh, the thoughts, the energy of thinking and the energy of speaking and seeing how it affects the body. So how, how valuable a vessel our own body is in daily life if we, if we need a navigation, if we need to know where we are, where we've been, where we're going, or what we're feeling, and particularly what we're feeling. Sometimes we're not quite sure. Just see if it feels like a cluster of emotion and confusion of thought. Um, if your instinct can be the same as we've been em- emphasizing this this nine days, go right to the body. The body doesn't lie. And even if you don't immediately know what the emotions are, it doesn't matter. You're feeling them by feeling the sensations in the body. And many of the emotions all of us have uh, never come into a, a kind of rational, linear clarity. By nature, they'll, they'll stay vague and mysterious and ephemeral. But as long as we feel the sensations that correlate them in the body, we'll feel safe, we'll feel grounded, we'll feel capable of working with the energy of them. And we're more likely to be able to harness the energy of mindfulness uh, and metta and compassion and empathetic joy and equanimity, the Brahma Viharas, the immeasurables, for our purpose of remaining, abiding in the moment, of thinking clearly of uh, with affectionate awareness or compassionate awareness or joyous awareness or even balanced, equanimous awareness. And remembering that the senses are, are just an extension of the body. So sometimes we might find our grounding by that soft gaze of the beginner's mind where we just not stare at anything in particular but just feel settled by the sphere of light and shadow, color and form, feel in, in the container of, of uh, the field, of the visual field, of the palette of, of colors, form, light, shadow, or sound, the feel of the sound vibrations that might make us feel safe, not looking for any particular sounds, but just like our ancestral, knowing our ancestral home is being grounded in our own body and senses. So just being able to hold the field of sound vibration as a way of also feeling present. It's just our body. Sounds are our body. Light and shadow are our body. Scent, fragrance, flavor, all part of our body sense. So that's the first thing, just... The practice as we've been doing it, adapt it in the way, in the best ways we can, uh, day to day. I have a, a dear, a dear friend that um, I've known about him for over thirty years, and uh, in the years I was, I spent in Burma in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. It was really he was always way away somewhere. Uh, a, a cabin in the mountains, in a cave, you know, in some remote places, re- remote place. And so most people, I s- said, well, do you know where Ujotika, Sayada Ujotika is now? And no one would u- usually know where he was. And about five or six years ago, we started communicating by email when email access became more available from Burma. And we develop a good friendship. Uh, and then since I've been allowed into Burma earlier this year, we've spent a lot of time together. 
uh, both in Burma and in Thailand. Uh, and, and what what I and others love mostly about Ujodika and revere about him and why he's so sought after is because no one can find him. <laughs> and, and his teachings are loved. You know, if you go online um, uh, and type Saira Ujotika, or many of his talks are at the Shweyumin Monastery that Michelle spoke of. The Shweyumin was very fond of Ujotika as, as well. We're similar in, the, uh, in age and share some of the aging uh, difficulties or challenges and whatnot. Um, and we both love quiet. We're both very inward people and we, we seek out silence. So we, see, we feel safe with each other because I also live in remote places. Uh, and so he was a couple of weeks in northern Thailand, uh, just we're 10 minutes apart. So we'd get together and, and we'd talk a lot. We'd talk a lot about how much we like to be quiet <laughs> <laughs> and tell each other stories. You know, I told him some Buddhist stories and, you know, and, and he told me some, he told me stories out of Western literature, like um, from Nathaniel Hawthorne, because he's, you know, a very literate um, uh, and very educated person. So the thing that I resp- thing that we mirror in each other is the importance of solitude. And all week we've been teaching the meaning of that word we wake up. The, the 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 meaning of it is seek, is seclusion or solitude, as well as rest, deep rest, profound rest and relaxation, that comes from our capacity to live between thoughts, live between emotions live between sensations rather than being pulled into them. That place of, that's so deeply uh, so deeply quiet and peaceful and silent that uh, we find, we discover timelessness, that tremendous space of the present moment. You know, and that's where, that's where we feel at ease. And even if we find that, you know, once every couple hours, if we have a really busy life, it will feel like a refuge. So not to, not to forget the importance of, of our own personal solitude and seclusion, however you make it in, in, your, in your way, by walking, sitting, standing, or lying down. However you create sacred space in your home or some part of your room that you imbue with the same kind of um, feeling tone that, that Vallecitos provides. You know, your own miniature Vallecitos. Think of it and think what, what might represent it. And whether it's your own memory or some photos or things you've gathered here, symbols of it, um, uh, or other places that are, that are, that mirror that solitude, that sacredness inside of you. Imbue that corner of your room, our house, where you plan to do your time of solitude, sitting or standing or lying, or even walking. And you don't need much room to walk. Uh, Michelle and I began teaching in New Zealand in the mid-80s. And and one of our students was a a mime artist. And when we did our go-around at the end, he, he, he said he offered to give a demonstration of how you can do walking meditation in a telephone booth. <laughs> and so he did this walk that you know, didn't go anywhere, but it looks, if you've ever seen a mime, it really looks like you're walking. It's so amazing, you can't believe that he's not really moving. So you don't need much space to walk. And, uh, and we often suggest that even if, even if you walk for 10 minutes, before you sit, it it cuts in half the time it takes to feel that we wake up, you know, that stillness within the body when you do sit. Your mind won't be so busy and you won't be so tempted to think, well, today I just can't sit. I'm thinking about too many things. If you walk first and maybe you do a, a Brahma Vihara, you know, a Metta, Mudita, Compassion walk first, just long enough to feel 
somewhat connected with your body and your feet and, and your awareness, and then sit. It's pretty amazing, you know, how, how, how quickly then you can start to drop into that stillness. And then it might take only 10 or 15 minutes to start feeling quiet. And, and then if you can, sit that same length of time in silence. So that might mean just if you only have a half an hour. Often we suggest, you know, pick a length of time you know you can sit. So if you know you can sit 40 or 45 minutes, then do it. But if you don't know you can sit 40 or 45 minutes, don't tell yourself you can do it. That's part of our self-deception. You know, that, that line from Dostoevsky, um, lying to ourselves is more ingrained to, than lying to others. So pick what you can. If you know you can sit 20 or 25 minutes, then do your walk for 5 or 7 minutes, and then sit for 5 or 7 minutes until you feel still, and then another 5 or 7 minutes, you know, until you reach your, your time. Just what feels within your reach, within your depth. Because if you make that kind of resolve or determination, you'll do it. If you make it too big, you'll give it, you'll give it all up. And we know that it's challenging for people to keep up a daily practice. For some, it's it, it's it's easy. It's as easy as bathing and you know grooming ourselves. But for others, it, it feels like it's too hard to fit in. So we keep trying to find creative ways to encourage you, you know, to take that time. Because it is about the solitude, it is about the quiet, it is about the stillness that helps navigate uh, our day and through our own personalities and with all the other personalities we may have to deal with, you know, and whatever, however life comes, you know, at us. And and we're more capable of feeling that capacity to be receptive and at the same time, powerfully protective. Because by now you see that the four Brahma Viharas are our greatest boundaries, our greatest defenses. Our old ones are, you know, anger, ill will, fear, uh, indifference, that crust we feel over our heart or belly. And they come at a cost. They come at a sense of, of, of disconnect. And they're wearying, tiring, but these have their equivalent, you know, like what I call fierce compassion. It can be like the moral equivalent of anger or aversion. Just as powerful an armor, you know, to say, no, that's not okay, or um, I'm, I'm not going to stay here, or I'm not going to listen to that, or that behavior is unacceptable. But instead of coming from anger, which, is, which comes at a cost to our core energy, you know, which, which makes us, we suffer from, it comes from compassion and, and wisdom. So we feel the same strength, even greater perhaps, than if our, if our, if our um, defense or our way of protecting ourselves or others is angry. But it doesn't have the cost that anger does, which takes, steals energy. Compassion, fierce compassion is energy, um, preserving, restorative. We just you do it and you and there's the wisdom that know it's the right thing. And you can't go wrong. That, that's what Aung San Suu Kyi used to tell me when, when she said, you know, diplomats were here this morning and they, and they tell me, you know, how can you do this? How can you keep doing this? All these generals they they're so powerful and they put you down every day in the news uh, and then insult you and, and they and they have all these, these weapons, you know. You're one person. You weigh 98 pounds, you know. And she says, um, and they said, you know, of course you're afraid of them. And she said, wait a minute. I'm not afraid. Why should I be afraid of what's right? And where she drew her energy and sources is the very practice we've been doing for nine days. All her inspiration comes from the four Brahma Viharas and the insight meditation practice. So she learned to use all, all these powerful immeasurables or Brahma Viharas as very skillful warrior weapons in dealing with the generals. And that's why she has this indomitable spirit 
irrepressible spirit. That's why she's never caved in. Yeah, where do you want to go? Okay. Walk mindfully, okay? <laughs> so that everyone can see. Good boy. I think when we leave retreat, there's a way in which we can look at our uh, the patterns of our daily life and... Uh, maybe tweak a few things. So I think that if we try to ask too much of ourselves, then we tend to get discouraged because we can't really maybe change that dramatically. But I think there are little things. So, for example, um, checking email. It's it, If I check email right when I get up, <laughs> and then... And then I try to sit. It's so much harder, you know. And it, it's like what I find that if I do a, a retreat, when I come back out into the world, my home, I feel like I have enough um, wisdom to not do that, you know. Because you know, when you check email, then your mind is thinking about all that stuff and. You just get, or at least I do, if we live a busy life and there's a lot to do, I immediately get into that I don't have enough time to sit and that I have to make that phone call right away rather than just staying unplugged <laughs> until you get some quiet time. You know, so Because we have these rhythms of light and dark and sleep and waking up and there is a way in which if you plug in immediately um, if you don't have to do that if you can get up early enough not to do that I would say that is probably the most important thing for me at this point in time on the planet Um, and I, I think that as Steve said there's there's some of us are all different, so for some people, keeping a steady daily practice is relatively easy. It's not effortless, but I think it's certainly easier for some than others. And I recommend, if you're not as steady, that you try taking a chunk of time on a weekend, like in the morning or every other weekend, or something that that isn't just like a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour, but a couple of hours so that you get to, like, maybe sit, walk, sit. And I I find those chunks uh, very renewing, more than just, uh, like, a 45-minute or an hour, that that a couple of hours is phenomenal. And, of course, if you can get a day, you know, it can really help. you know, kind of call you back home so that you kind of find find yourself again on a, on a deeper level again. The, the, the to-do lists become very compelling and uh, the, you know, taking care of our spiritual grounding, you know, it... It tends to be on the top of the list when we leave a retreat, and then it, it starts sliding and sliding. And, you know, it's just like I always joke. You know, there's very few people who live a life where somebody meets you when you wake up, and with maybe a cup of tea or coffee or something, and just says, you know, don't forget, just like have some quiet time today and don't start rushing and you know I I really want you to just take care of yourself and <laughs> don't get involved with all this stuff I mean it's it's so the opposite it's so um, modern and so so much part of the social world that we live in in the work world that uh, doing more is socially acceptable and doing doing less is uh, 
<laughs> lazy. <laughs> Are not appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if we open it up yeah. and, you know, by your questions, um, we've done this for a long time and there's a lot that we can help and, and uh, guide and inspire practice in daily life. Um, it's more dynamic if, if, if you come up with your own questions or situation and we can tune in. Our experiences from previous retreats that might, you know, uh, illumine for other people what to do. Like when we taught in Africa, we taught a retreat and then there was a break and then another month and uh, a businessman who sat with us had gone back to Durban and it was a business um, uh, building that he lived in, that he worked in and there was uh, like a 25... uh, story elevator to his office. So he began to use the elevator for his his connection time, his solitude time. He said, you know, all the years before, he'd get an elevator, and like people do, they either look down at shoes or they look up at the number, you know, on the elevator. And they kind of don't, they can't sort of relax. They wait for, they can't, not so comfortable that if there's other people in the elevator, just wait to get there. So then he had this attitude of, well, this, I do this every day and at least a half a dozen times to go out to lunch or go to meetings. So why don't I use this as what we call a touchstone, something we do every day. And, and now we just we make it a touchstone, a place to remember. Um, and so he, he came back to our second retreat and he said it changed his whole, his whole attitude because every time he came out of the elevator back into his office, he felt calmer. Or, or when he left to go to a meeting, you know, he felt connected, clear about what he was saying, just in the elevator rides. That was pretty innovative and creative. Or red lights. That's right. <laughs> Meta at red lights. <laughs> yes. I just wanted to say how much I appreciated your, appreciate your CD. I, I have to drive oh. back and forth from where I live to Austin a lot. And um, it's just, I mean, I don't even have to play it anymore. But I just love it. That's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So what's it called so everyone knows? There's a CD I made called Awake at the Wheel. And it's, it's basically, uh, I attempted to teach mindfulness practice while you're driving. And people laugh, but it's like, People are in cars, and it's it's all a lot, right? And it's like it's very much how to you're you're not just being mindful driving; you're actually learning how to be mindful. Period. Never mind driving, but it um, it's good to hear. You know, thanks. And, and of course, the kind of mindfulness we use in daily life is uh, is more a a dynamic, uh, interactive mindfulness, uh, and we we call up wisdom. You know, and a lot of just of our, not just intuitive wisdom, but how intuitive wisdom informs um, conceptual wisdom. Because obviously we need to know what a red light is, you know, or a green light at a crosswalk or a stopping place. Uh, so it's it's a kind of mindfulness where, we, where there's a lot of uh, um, creative energy and intelligent thinking, intelligent, receptive, perceptive uh, engagement with our interactions, whether it's driving or speaking and so forth. So that's that's one prime difference. The the stillness part of the seclusion, where we don't have to be interactive, you know, or very rarely at a retreat, that's going to disappear. So, so we, we we have to prepare for a more uh, uh, kind of reciprocity, interactive type of practice, because we can't control. Here, everyone here, eventually we felt totally secure and safe. Out in the world, they're not gonna, you're not gonna see people doing, you know, slow walking and radiating unconditional love, you know, down the street or at the office or in the schoolroom, whatever, wherever you are. So it's an important thing to remember. Lane? Um, well, practice I find really 
called One Like Me. One Like Me? Yeah. Yep. So every time somebody cuts in front of me in, at a roundabout... In traffic. In traffic, or if somebody pushes in front of the line, or um, somebody bumps into me in the street, um, and I can feel that irritation, or um, I just say the words, one like me, <laughs> because they're trying to get somewhere, mm. and they're being mindless, mm. and they're just like me. Mm. <laughs> And, and that makes you feel present and connected and more aware and... and less irritated and angry Good. And, and more compassionate. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Elaine, could, thank you. Could you turn the light on back there or somebody? Because it's hard to see if anyone has their hand up. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Another thing I'd love to do is, is um, meta practice at grocery stores, and it's just it's just so wonderful. And you know, like if you have to go to a Walmart or something, and it, it, it's almost it's funny, but it's 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 I often look forward. It's like, oh, what's today going to bring? And there's just all these people, and your heart can just open up so big when you're. I love that too. Yeah. When Michelle, Michelle used to send me to the market. For just you know to get something quickly and be back in fifteen minutes, I'd spend an hour just wheeling around, looking, watching people, looking at the vegetables, and it's so relaxing. It's the only place, one of the rare places, you can look like you know you're being useless, and it's okay. <laughs> Study and support come to mind too. The study is just reading enough to support either where you're at, what you've experienced, or what seems promising, you know, to be on the path. Um, and there, there is a list on our website, and there might be one of, for on Vallecitos as well. Um, and and support that that is a kind of support study, uh, connecting with others. Um, if you can find a weekly sitting around you and also if you can find at least one spiritual friend that you can call and talk to and understands this language this practice language and you can say anything you want and you know you're not going to be judged you, you know you're going to be seen and heard and felt and understood uh, and, if, you know, and work at finding that if you don't have it immediately. I mean, we, we've all had it here all week, silently. So all, 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 you, all we need to do is connect with somebody at here or at some retreat or in your community nearby who, who you feel safe enough to have a, that kind of arrangement with where you can just sometimes just call and talk about anything, anything at all. Spiritual friend, Kalyanamita. A meta friend. One of the more difficult times to practice, which I'm pretty good at home, but when you're on vacations or you're out of your normal schedule, it's so difficult. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on you know, you lead lives here, there, and yon, of how, what you've found in terms of when people are not in their usual routine. Well, you're still seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, have a body sense. Depending on the vacation and where you go and who you're with, one of those may feel more available to you. So if you're not in directly in a conversation with someone, you hear a conversation, you can practice just hearing and not particularly 
you know, get involved with the conversation because if it doesn't involve you, but just know that it's going on. If there's sound, if you are talking to somebody, as we said earlier today, before we broke silence, it, it's really good to continually, and it only takes one of those timeless mindful moments or meta moments. It, it often changes the strategy in mid-conversation if we start feeling we're getting entangled or we're pushing or being pushed. And all of a sudden we relax back into that timeless seclusion or a rest or we wake up, you know, and then and then we're more aware that we're about to talk and we feel the vibrations in the body, in the throat, or the chest, or the belly. And, you know, there's more awareness behind the words and, and more awareness about you know, that you're really communicating to the depth of the other person, not talking at them, but you're trying to share something on a level that they may not even be aware of, but you see it and you sense it. Because everyone wants to feel that, you know, however we relate to them, whether we just look at them or we're listening or speaking with them, everyone wants to feel loved unconditionally, you know, or empathy or celebrated and appreciated. And that comes through in how we speak and how we look at someone and how we stand. So, you know, those are a couple of ways that come to mind to me. And, and just watching our mind states. There's, there's no moment of the day where we can't be aware. We don't at least have an opportunity. We may miss it. It may be in retrospect, but sometimes that's helpful too, that we, that we're, that we thought, said, or did something in anger. So even if it's already passed, to notice that is really useful. And, and, and then we, we're more likely to catch If we do that a lot, we're more likely to catch it in the moment. Well, I'm about to speak, speak something you know, with a tone of resentment or anger or fear. And then, then we're just silent and take a moment, even if it's one of those timeless few nanoseconds you know, or longer, you know, uh, and, then, and then come back at it from a place of where we really want to communicate from. Yes? I find, so, like you, I missed a lot of airports and there was this 9-11, but five years ago, I started to think about the airport as a time to get caught up on my Buddhist podcast Hmm. and also when I'm on the plane. Right. A chunk of time to Good. really meditate rather than it is me. yes. And then with the TSA people, of, you know, say, sort of being grateful yes instead of resentful. Very good. Um, that really has helped me uh, get over my aversion. Yes. I'm not afraid of flying, but my aversion to getting from A to B on yes. the plane and being in an airport. That's really good advice. I could learn from some of that because I live up there a lot. <laughs> I finally got accepted in the Trusted Traveler program, so I have this global entry card to go around all the lines because I had a hard time with them. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, tests, it tests your yeah. patience. Yeah. And when you're tired, it yeah, tests your patience. At yeah. all times, and yeah. I found myself getting angry. <laughs> at the least little thing. And so I tried to just turn that around. Lovely. I always succeed, but... Oh, that's a really, that's an excellent touchstone yeah. suggestion. I find that if I go in with the idea that that's how I'm going to spend my time, it works out yep. better for me. That's really good. And that's another thing the Buddha taught, you know, to think ahead of, of what we're going to do. And he called that clear comprehension of purpose. That we're aware that we're going to go somewhere, or do something, or have some meaning, a meet, meeting, or whatever, um, and you know, just that, just that alone. And then, secondly, clear comprehension of of uh, adaptability, or flexibility, or suitability, and that means being prepared for the unexpected, any change, anything that comes in to our purpose. What our uh, clear comprehension of purpose or intention is being ready to respond instead of react, you know, or sidestep some arrow we didn't expect and be adaptable, flexible. 
So those are two excellent and very original, very ancient teachings. Clear comprehension of purpose and clear comprehension of suitability or adaptability. One of the reasons I made that CD, Awake at the Wheel, was um, because um, I'm in a lot of taxis. And often um, in Vancouver, there's a lot of uh, people driving taxis that are originally from India. Um, And so you get in a taxi and, you know, usually they ask you what you do or why you're there. And if I say I teach meditation, it's often a very interesting discussion because, you know, that's very deep in their roots, you know. And um, so one time I was going along, and it's not that I hadn't had many conversations before about this, but this one man was so interesting. I told him, and then I could tell he was very upset, and he just stopped talking with me. And then... um, Maybe ten minutes later, he looked back at me and he said, "I can't possibly uh, be in the present moment. I'm I'm a taxi driver. I'm just really mad." And I'm like, "Okay, you know, <laughs> I, was, I had a red eye and I was tired." And then ten minutes later, he said, "I can't possibly be in the present moment. You know, I'm a taxi driver. I have to live in the future." And he did that a couple times, and I was like, "You know, do you want to? Do you want to?" talk about this or do you want to just keep saying that (laughs) and he's like well what do you what do you mean and I said well I could kind of help you learn how to meditate as you're driving and he was so resistant but I just you know just like getting in your body and feeling the steering wheel and um and then you know the big deal was uh that he has to always be in the future because he's having to plan where you know, he's going. And he thought he had me on that one. And it was very fun. And I said, you know what? I really want you to be planning, too. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to get to where I'm going, too. And I, I need you to plan. So um, he's, he was very interested in that. And I said, yeah, you're planning in the present moment. You make the plan. And then you go back to driving, you know, and being aware of hearing. And, <coughs> and it was very, it was such a great ride and then we started going red light by red light and and um including all the sense doors and uh it was so meaningful to him and to me it was like the taxi the inside of the taxi became like a a temple and by the time i got out of the taxi he he didn't want to charge me he was so grateful and I want I I felt equally grateful, and it, that that didn't that it was more the feeling of the um, depth of the, the um, shift, and and so it really is like that. No matter what we're doing, we start when you get revved up and you start living your life, you start feeling like you can't possibly be in the present moment because there's so much to do. But that's the very time to not do that you know it's the very time to do the opposite and that's what that's what we will encourage you more than anything is that the more you get into that space where you don't have time that's stress that actually is stress so you know you'll get busier and busier and feel like you have less and less and less time but actually anytime you remember to be here that beginning again you have all the time in the world and yes, like what you know, if you can treat, especially again, I think in this in this modern world that we live in, um, you know, I uh, the the grocery store near where I lived in Honolulu, I called NECA because I went there every day, and I really I really felt that about it. I'm not sure Islam would appreciate my you know metaphor, but uh, it it just that just any sense that you can have where whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, has that element of practice. It really shifts it. Your home, your where you get your provisions, you know, where you work, everything can be that um, sacred space. And you can and really influence others. It really changes 
that kind of awareness of awareness of planning and carrying out what your plans are. And um, then when you meet people, you're more in the present moment, and it really just changes everything. It changes how you relate to the like the grocery store clerks. In years ago, this uh, um, Zen master named Paul Reps uh, lived with us in the early 80s. He was 87 at that time. And, and he'd spent a lifetime uh, doing calligraphy and um, um, Zen practice in Japan and had traveled to Burma and India and whatnot uh, in a very individual type, solitude type of teacher and artist, Sumie painting and calligraphy with little sayings under them. He was the editor of Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, and uh, wrote other books like Goldfish Signatures and did a lot of really beautiful things. But he was quite the individual. He was a very iconoclastic and irreverent and, um, you know, said things like, well, true Zen masters live under bridges, you know, kind of not really buying into the, the, the hype of all these uh, um, masters with long titles and whatnot. He was always challenging to that and appreciated for that. So he lived with us and he walked to the same store that both Michelle and I are talking about. And he started developing this relationship with one of the clerks, just a friendliness one. Whenever he'd buy his, uh, mainly he ate avocados and papayas. <laughs> and... Uh, go through and and buy them and she'd weigh them and they just have a nice connection and she could feel something from him, you know, uh, just from his presence. He didn't have to say anything particularly profound or wise, just his nature. And then all of a sudden they started using these automatic voice weighing machines. So you put the avocado and the papaya and some mechanical voice says... It weighs so many ounces and it costs so such and such and such. And it so interfered from his perspective with the real relationship with the clerk. He got really angry at it, at the machine, not at the clerk. <laughs> and he tried to say, well, I think this weighs so much, so I'll pay you this much. He tried to bargain, you know, <laughs> anything but listening to this machine. And and it, it just, he had, every day he had a different strategy of how to not use that machine. And finally he came upon an idea. Uh, and he came through the line with one grape. <laughs> and it was too light for the machine to, you know, respond to. And the clerk enjoyed that so much, you know, that they made another re- arrangement from, from then on for him to get his papayas and avocados and restore the real human relationship that was there. <laughs> He had a very strong influence on that year that he lived with us. I'd usually tell a lot of rep stories, so come to another retreat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Wendy. One of the um, the, the best practices, and it was kind of a surprise, I learned that phrases of men, you know, like all those this person, that person, is um, just working with a neutral person, like the one that you don't notice, and uh, or the person that just you're tun- tuning out on or is not getting attention, and that one really opens up the world. Like mm. It it just it it just widens the lens, mm. um, and. What I find is like I'm much more connected just by doing that one wherever I go. Because um, I'm seeing people more. And I'm not tuning right. out. And I, and I can look at where I'm tuning out on people. So that's been a really profound practice, just that neutral person. Any of that's a lovely yeah, offering. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it. One of the times that I I ch- chose a neutral person at my grocery store, and I just had her as somebody I did meta for for a year. It, again, it's like 
it changed my whole relationship, not only with the grocery store, but her. And, you know, it's not like she ever really knew. But it, it does, um, I think what's, what we're, everyone is saying, you can hear it, and what we're saying is to at least attempt to do some of the practices that you connect with, or maybe even love, you know, and um, if it's amazing what we don't notice when we don't tune into neutral. So, you know, that it just opens up a whole other world for us. And there's a practice I've done for some years now, the Guardian Meditations, and um, there's four. And you can do them so that they take a lot of time. Or I was explaining to a friend recently, she asked me about them, and I said, you know, you can do them in about six seconds. So, you see, you can shift your practice to, it, it can seem like they, they should take a long time, but actually, when you don't have that much time, you can do them very quickly. So, for example, that, in a long way, the first one is, is reflecting on the Buddha's virtues, and the second is... Um, Reflecting on the 32 parts of the body, that's a lot of parts, right? You know, hair, nails, pus, blood, bones, it's a whole series of things. And the third is uh, metta, and the fourth is um, reflecting on death. And, um, you know, if I'm walking or driving, or you see, the, it's very interesting, these spaces where, as Steve said, the, the person who learned about practicing in the elevator... There's a lot of spaces that we have in our day, but we don't notice that we could kind of add in some little light touch. Uh, so for years, it's like, you know, if I'm sitting here, but, you know, it wasn't what we're doing here, but if I'm sitting somewhere, I might just, just go through those four guardian meditations, but in, I'll do some worthiness. I'll just feel my own worthiness and then others' worthiness. Airports, that's a great one. Uh, and the second one is um, the 32 parts of the body. I, I tend to just uh, reflect on how much we judge people by their faces, and that we tend to we tend to only see people often by their face. So if I'm in a real hurry, I'll just say worthiness faces. <laughs> the next one's loving kindness. It can be may I be happy, may you be happy, or may we. Very simple, but this is see we're only on. Five seconds. And then the fourth is, um, on your in-breath you say, um, everyone I know will die on the out-breath, and I too will die. And that's meant to be um, not morbid, but... Something. Yeah, spiritual urgency. So you see, that's not long. But you see, I love those practices, and I love... They're inspiring to me, and they just—I'll just do a beat, and it'll—I'll just feel myself walking or sitting or driving, and it's grounding. So what? It, but I love these practices, right? So it's—it's it's finding something that, like, you find something like tuning into neutral being beings, and you—you you do them for a while, or you—you—you you, you start to see that going into Walmart instead of being an alienating experience which it's so easy to do to like oh I can I can really do some practice here (laughs) (laughs) I mean I think I want to add in because we're not I think it's also very important to be able to accept that we hit our limits quite a bit so that we do get frustrated and we do get afraid and we do get angry and we do get overwhelmed and um, it does seem like on one level as we are going through time that that the level of overwhelm that people are on does seem to be getting on the whole much more intense. And it's just to acknowledge that, that there is something about that culturally that, uh, in terms of our relationship to, it just seems like, I don't know what it, you know, you could come up with all kinds of theories, but it is, it does seem true that people are on overwhelm more. 
so, so to to again take care with it whenever we do feel that that as as Steve's been really acknowledging that you know it's not to to be careful of thinking you should be better than you are or ahead or not be where one is and to to just work with it you know it's it's very easy to get impatient and frustrated and afraid <laughs> you know it's not like it's hard to do yes I've got a question. Can you give some guidance in um, how to gently um, suggest or encourage to friends to come so it's not, you know, proselytizing or not, you know, you got to do this? Well, I, I do think that when you leave retreat and you, <laughs> you try to talk to people about your retreat that haven't practiced, it usually, <laughs> you know, you know, and then we did walking meditation. And, you know, I was noticing heaviness and pressure, and you know, it just, it just, you know, does not cut the mustard. Usually, um, usually, I think anybody who's done this already and tried to talk about it on that level, and then you try to talk about the food, or you know, it just, just doesn't, or what you were upset about, which usually is somebody sneezed, or you know, I mean, it just, it just does not carry over but as you change what I find is the most powerful thing is not what we say but how we are and people get very affected by how we are you know and of course there are some people who are very responsive to say, you know saying something and other people it's just not helpful you know I mean I tend to be kind of um on the side of being very careful with that. And Steve might have something else to say. But it's definitely, it's not a missionary kind of thing. And I know you're you're asking not how to do that without that energy. Mm-hmm. But boy, do people get affected by how we are. In when my stepmother, it, you know, originally thought that I was getting brainwashed. <laughs> And I and I tried to joke about it. I said, "Oh yeah, it's kind of like my brain got washed. You know, I, I did, you know anything wasn't helping." And then, um, but over the years, as friends, it was friends would would drop me off or visit. She used to start to cry, and she'd say, and she was hard, not just hard. And she, I'd go to leave, and she'd cry, and she'd say, "You have such nice friends." So it, you know, it, it's, uh, you never know what's going to touch somebody. It's mostly a silent transmission, and they will ask. They'll say, you know, they'll notice something about you, and they'll ask, and they'll pull it out of you, and just give them what they need in the moment. And if they ask more, you can give more. And say, well, you know, I, I learned a lot of how I feel or how I am or how I've changed from being in, in solitude or in seclusion. And they'll say, well, what is that? And you can say, well, it's, a, it's like a silent meditation. Just very little bits at a time. R- rather than starting the black to talk about Buddhism or you know, all the immeasurables and things that will space them out and they'll want to run away. <laughs> yeah. The same with our children, you know, anyone. It's, it's uh, our behavior that most moves the people. Sam? Do you, do you have some wise words of, of advice of how, how to uh, relate to your mate, you know, your probably has um, experienced a great deal more stress since you've been gone um, keeping the household together and et cetera, et cetera. And then you come in with, oh, wow. <laughs> this is what happened. And you go out to dinner talk about this. And, you know, the first thing you could say, Sam, is how can I help? How can I help? Hmm? And then let everything follow from there. 
It's the empathy for it's true. The person who gets stuck at home usually has that feeling of like they've been doing. It's I I I do all the work around here. You know that <laughs> that feeling, uh, and then. If if you have the feeling that your uh, partner appreciates, you know that when you know, and that they say thank you and empathy, and then ask what can you do, and is there something I can do so that you can take some space? It, it usually goes a long way. Yeah, that it's that feeling of getting connected with. You know, it's it's amazing how it's always the person left the, at home that has that feeling, and the person who gets to go uh, tends to um, have to bring great care when they come back into that homeland again. Yeah, it's a very good question, really good question. Just sit a couple minutes. Yeah. Or, yeah. Because we could do, do, they could walk and then sit. Yeah, but just yeah. be quiet for a yeah, minute or two. Sure. That'd yeah. be great. On behalf of Michelle and I, I'd like to express immeasurable gratitude for your practice and dedicate whatever merit from our teachings to you and as an aid and nurturing element to your practice. And if there's anything that we've said or done that has caused you any harm, we ask your forgiveness. And anything you may have knowingly or unknowingly said or done to cause us harm, we freely forgive you. sitting at uh, five past nine. So if somebody could ring the bell at five up, we'll have the, met, the last meta chance sitting. Maybe, maybe ten. Maybe we'll do a 20-minute sitting from ten past nine to nine thirty, so there's a little bit of time to just kind of a walk and... Digest. Yeah, so if you... Who rings the bell for that? Could you ring the bell at nine? And we'll start at ten past. Thank you. What's tomorrow's schedule? Oh, no one's sitting? Okay. Um, tomorrow's schedule is there's a sitting <laughs> before breakfast. It's that same, you know, the same wake up, sit before breakfast, and then breakfast. And then um, I think now I'm going to need help. Well, I, uh, usually that then it's time to really get everything together, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll have breakfast and then... Um, Gather your things. Yeah, especially the people. It looks like there's a lot of cars here, but anybody who's on the van, I think we'll announce at breakfast, but I think is no one? No van. Oh. Well, then there'll be breakfast. Um, Everybody do their own dishes. 
Yeah, is there... <laughs> did, we, did we talk about... Is, I think there's talking during breakfast, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the, yeah. The, it's, it's silent up to breakfast, and then there's talking at breakfast. And then, you know, people can linger a bit and uh, or not. Is that right? questions at breakfast, just ask that, so it's clear. Thanks for asking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.